As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Before we jump in, I want to tell you about New York Times Audio, a new iOS app for New York Times news subscribers. It's got our show, plus all the other podcasts from The Athletic, exclusive shows, narrated articles, and more. New York Times Audio. Download it now at nytimes.com slash audio app. Welcome, everybody, to the Football GM Podcast. We are deep into, well, not really deep into summer, but it kind of feels like it, doesn't it, Randy? We're recording this just as May is turning to June. We're just about to that time when people in the NFL have their toes in the sand, right? (laughs) Yeah, a couple more weeks, I guess. A lot of teams are finishing up their mini camps, and most of the mandatory mini camps happen, what, that June 13, 14, 15 window. So we don't have a a lot of time before then. So a couple more weeks of of grinding, and then, yes, Mm -hmm. they have uh, toes either up or in the sand, and they're actually going to get uh, a month or so of, of uh, R&R, including yeah. the players. Should be good. Hey, including a couple podcast guys, maybe, too. Hey, you never know. Uh, you know they Mike might let Sand- us out of here. We should, maybe we should introduce ourselves. Mike Sando here from The Athletic, along with Randy Mueller, the GM from The Athletic. And even though it is uh, May turning to June here, and we're getting into uh, some real dead period in the NFL, there's a lot going on. We've got a full GM, uh, football GM podcast lineup uh deandre hopkins release is where we're going to lead off but there's a lot of other stuff in here uh, around the league uh, kind of some newsy nuggets and and opportunities i think to to bring uh you know leverage the gm's point of view uh and we're going to do that today but randy deandre hopkins you know one of the things that uh, i added on to our little notes at the bottom but i'm going to say it off the top about this uh that I find kind of interesting is remember when the Cardinals acquired DeAndre Hopkins a few years ago mm-hmm. and he signed a big extension and it was billed as two years, $54.5 million. And you go, wow, the, the receiver APY 27 million. It really, uh, you, you know, could be seen as setting some kind of new uh, bar at the position but isn't it interesting how these things wind up coming out when you look at it now? 
he didn't even get to the extension part. Now he got <laughs> real money as the extension. He got a nice twenty-seven million dollar bonus. But uh, I remember when they did that deal. I talked to someone in a front office who, and I've got my notes here. He said Hopkins' deal isn't really a twenty-eight million extension. It's like a five-year deal at eighteen and a half. Uh, you have to assume it's a new contract. He's never going to see those two years anyway. It basically took him from 13 to 18 the next few years. So now, three years later, it's funny. You look at this. He got $55 million over three years, which comes out to 18.3. It's <laughs> exactly, <laughs> isn't it interesting how the you know the teams uh, look at it that way, yet the extension can be valued at as its own entity, right? But in the end, the team was looking at it like, no, that's not really what it is. We're not giving them $27 million a year. <laughs> right. And the angle the team is happy to use is let the player yeah. beat his chest. Let the agent love what they're getting and sell it. You'll yeah. never see these numbers leaked out from the team side. It's always what's best yeah. for the player and, and really, in this case, his agent. So it's never been more true than, than these days where the, you know, Devil is in the details, and these deals all stand alone, like you said, each yeah. to the team, less about market, more about what you can get and, and the timing of it. And mm -hmm. we'll see uh, after two or three years, in some cases, who gets what. But, you know, really the, the cash and the payout in the first two or three years of these longer-term deals is really all you can bank on. And we will get into some of those details on some other deals. Jimmy Garoppolo in the news in the last week or so for his some revelations about his deal. But let's stay on DeAndre Hopkins here for a minute. Uh, in releasing him, the Cardinals uh, avoided $19 million plus in salary for 2023. Uh, they did let him kind of look around to see if there was a trade, but that number was going to be tough for an acquiring yeah. team to give up something and then have to eat $19 million in the middle of – May or June, that's a lot to be to be adding when you know they're probably going to cut them just from where they're at. So if you look at the Cardinals, they're, they're already giving a $36 million option bonus this year to Kyler Murray. Uh, they're eating salaries for their coach they fired, their GM. Uh, so obviously they weren't interested in paying $19 million to Hopkins when they could avoid it. Um, what do you think? I want to hit it from a few angles. I think number one would just be sort of what this means for Arizona. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the the key in Arizona is if you can't help rebuild our culture, we're surely not going to pay you to be part of it. And I think you could have made a case for keeping Hopkins had there not been, oh, a little bit of intangible doubt. You know, I mean, he's never been a guy that's been a practice guy. There was some rumor that last year they were a little upset with him that he didn't finish the season, although he was fairly healthy, could have played the last two games and didn't. Um, when you're a new GM, when you're a new coach like the Cardinals have going now, and, and you'll see this. It, every deal like this is handled differently. My guess is the Buda Baker thing will be handled totally different. Uh, but in this case, the, the Hopkins deal was that he was not going to be part of the solution. So it was a matter of, you know, not uh, if they were going to let him go, it was just when and how. And like you said, they let him do a little shop and there's no way anybody's going to bite on that $19 million. Um, I thought it was interesting in that they took all the salary cap hit this year because they released him before June 1. And yeah. so they have, I guess, almost $22 million in cap dead money that they're going to eat this year, which tells me that they know they're going to struggle this year, but they're freeing up their books. They're kind of clearing the decks to see what's available next year, and they wanted to eat it up as much as they could right now. Yeah, and before we get into you know, your film work on what Hopkins, ha Hopkins has left in the tank and, and some thoughts on fits for him, which I think is an interesting part of the conversation. I, I am intrigued by Arizona because Kyler Murray 
uh, is hurt. And so, and then they added a bunch of picks next year in the draft, did a nice job getting some players or some picks there to, to build for the future. And uh, they're, they could be just shoot. They could be picking number one overall next year anyway, just on the, the way that their team is kind of set up. What do you think about that stuff? You never want to get too far ahead. Cause who knows, maybe they'll surprise and win more games than you think, but um, they, they could be at the top of the draft with a, with quarterbacks available, right? I mean, what, what yes. do you think? What do you think? Well, I think we are getting the, head, the cart ahead of the horse a little bit, but I think if you look at it right now from 30,000 feet, Caleb mm-hmm. Williams, the quarterback from USC, unless he just falls on his face, is probably going to be the first pick in next year's draft. And let's say they do struggle to win games in Arizona, part of the plan or not. I don't think, and I'll just start with Kyler. I don't want to beat Kyler up, but I don't know that Kyler Murray plays for them this year. I'll be honest. He got hurt what, December 2nd or something like that last year. Mm. I don't know exactly when he had the ACL surgery, but normally those wait a week or two for swelling to go down before they even have surgery. So I think at best you're talking about him coming back Halloween-ish. And I think that would depend where we were uh, in in the season, winning and loss record, how that works. Um, You know, I don't know, but I'll say this, they have a lot of information to gather all year long to decide what and how they will use that first pick next year. And it's going to be a high pick, Mike, no matter what. More than likely, they can. if it's not the first pick, they can find a way to get to the first pick because they're going to be in the top two or three probably at the end of, of the yeah. fall or, or this season. So I think their, their job this year is to gather as much information as they can. And They've been very positive, very upbeat about Kyler Murray and where sure. he's at. From a uh, work ethic standpoint, from a buying in standpoint, I get it. But I'm not sure I would need him to play, per se. What I want to find out about Kyler Murray is, is he first in? Is he last to leave? His leadership skills, his, his people skills around the building. I want to see if I want this guy to lead my team. I can see on tape the the uh, athleticism and the explosiveness that eventually he'll get back. I don't know that you'll have that back year one after an ACL, but he'll get that back. But there's a lot to learn about Kyler Murray. And, and I hate to say it, but there's a chance that he never plays again for them. In my opinion, that's going out on the limb. I get it. And I'm not saying that, that that's going to happen, but there's a chance that that happens because if they struggle, and they're sitting there with a chance to draft a quarterback that they have consensus on that they all think is going to be the next coming, they're probably going to pick him. And I don't know what that means for Kyler Murray after that. So well, they've got a lot, a lot of, of information gathering. Be a lot of things to figure out there uh, with his contract he signed and all of that. But yep. it's just kind of an interesting organization that they took. They, they I think they moved up to take Josh Rosen in the top half of the first round, then quickly decided, you know, that – Hey, we got to get out of this because we had the top pick. We can get Kyler Murray, yeah. uh, and he Murray was certainly a big upgrade over Rosen and showed some real flashes. But in the you know over the last couple of years, it's been a little disappointing. So yeah. now he does get to prove all of those areas off the field that, where he's been questioned, and the Cardinals fed into that with that contract clause about homework clause and yeah. all of that. But he gets a whole year with a new group of people to show them who he really is in the most yes. important parts, which is through a tough rehab, right? In the building, supporting your teammates, learning the offense, watching the film. They will have a lot of stuff they can probably take away from this year, no matter if he plays or not. Back to Hopkins, okay? So I believe he's played 19 of 34 games over the last two seasons, had a six-game 
performance-enhancing drug suspension during that stretch, turns 31 next week, kind of at that point, yeah, career age-wise, where the cliff could be near. I was kind of looking at some other receivers in that age range uh, that were bigger guys, Andre Johnson, Brandon Marshall. Both of them kind of had age 30 lull seasons and bounced back. Strong age 31, but they didn't have much left after that. They might have just had one or two more good years. So uh, when you look at him as a player, never was going to be, you know, uh, uh, anchoring the four by one relay team, right? He was never the, by wide receiver standards, just an absolute burner. But uh, but where do you see him as far as what he's got left in the tank? What What can he offer? Well, I think he's still a good player, but I think he has to be used in the right ways and have the right people around him to maximize where his skill set is. And and you're right. He doesn't jump off the ball at the line of scrimmage. He doesn't run by people to make you you defend him differently. He does, however, read coverages really well. He gets to mm-hmm. open areas. He has elite catching radius. When people are around him, he catches in the crowd. The good news is he catches everything, even when people are around him. The bad news is he's always got people around him because <laughs> he's not separating, right? He's not getting away from people. But he's proved that he can do that. He gets covered a lot. Um, I do think, and, and I saw this on tape, he's got still really good body control. He's got good feet. He can get in and out of routes pretty well. Um, just the suddenness, the ability to to scare people isn't there. Um, I think he needs to... And he's doing this. His game has kind of become a trickier double move game, you know, where mm-hmm. he's got to set people up at nuances of route running. And he does a pretty good job of that. I think he's a good player. I just didn't see a special player. Surely not one worth $19 million. Uh, My guess is, and you mentioned others around him, you know, him and OBJ are six months apart. He's six yeah. months older than OBJ. That contract that OBJ got with the Ravens of however you – figure it is a one-year $15 million deal. Now, I know there's some voids and a bunch of fancy business involved with that. Um, I think that's going to be a little bit of a hurdle that Hopkins is going to have to get over because I don't know that he'll get that. I think in this case, and I know it's crazy that OBJ is coming off a, a second ACL, but if healthy, OBJ has a little more upside athletically than where Hopkins would be, in my opinion. Uh, so that's something others will have to consider. But I think the fit's going to matter. I think there's going to be a lot of interest. Obviously, the price is going to matter. But there's some, it's funny, you, you, there's some betting odds out there. And I don't know yeah. if you weighed in and saw any of that stuff. But there's, it seems to be that there's a lot of interest in him. And I guarantee you, a lot of people are going to kick the tires. Yeah, and we'll get to that in terms of fits. I'm with you that the, to me, OBJ getting $15 million was higher than I was thinking at the time when it signed. I kind of perked up and went, oh, geez. It's pretty good for him. I, I thought he was maybe, uh, I thought he was going to maybe get ten or less. You know, just, just because rosters fill up, the injury concern. He's been somebody in recent years who's been a little bit more on reputation, right? The production hasn't been there consistently. He's had some flashes, but yeah. it just he hasn't been what he was or close to it early in his career. So as a team signing him, I, I don't know. But I think Baltimore was really in such a deal with yes. the Lamar Jackson situation. Right place, <laughs> they, right time, baby. Right yeah, place, right time. And they, they bought like, him. Hey, they went and yeah. bought him. Yeah. They bought, they wanted to buy the name. Yes. They wanted to buy the sizzle. 
it, regardless of, of course, they wanted to be a good player, but they were willing to overpay to say we got OBJ yep. uh, more so than if they got somebody who was a no name and just as good right now. Right. I think that it served a purpose for them. But sometimes these deals, just like the Deshaun Watson deal, made it harder initially for Baltimore to get done with Lamar. This OBJ deal on a smaller scale could make it harder, uh, certainly did make it harder, probably for the Cardinals to trade him and maybe eat some of the salary or however they could have done that. So be interesting to see what he gets from his next team. Uh, I was kind of looking around. I know you have some ideas. In fact, you've got a column posting on The Athletic, I hear. I check this out. <laughs> rumor uh, has it. Rumor has it mm -hmm. uh, about some fits and these sorts of things. Um as I, I guess the Chiefs and Bills were reportedly listed as teams that had engaged him in some discussions, uh, but obviously couldn't get past that $19 million number. Um, there's lot, There's teams out there that have no receivers, a Tennessee. Uh, right. There's teams out there to me like Denver who have overrated receivers and a new coach who might be able to make use of him. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think those are good points and might be in the mix for his services if they can figure out the money part of it. I think the difference between him and OBJ, and, and you always talk about timing being everything, OBJ got signed the first part of April, and they needed to have that happen quickly. And I think they'll be the first to tell you, they as the Ravens will be the first to tell you they overpaid to get him. But they knew they'd have to to get a quick decision and knock that out. I yep. don't think that, I, if I was going to be a free agent, I'd prefer to be one then, there was more money available, than now, because people have assigned what value they have. Now, there may be a couple teams who free up some money that we're going to talk about later, the June 1, um, yeah. uh, June 1 designation list of players that might get waived, uh, that teams can push off accelerated portion of their of their cap charges. There may be some of those, but I, I thought, and again, I, I don't, I would not doubt Denver as kind of a silent uh, player in this because I do know this, Sean Payton does want to shake things up. He wants to prove to people that he is not beholden to anybody that's been there in the past. He doesn't have to keep a soul. The difference is, I think the intangibles that we've been rumored that are attached mm -hmm. to Hopkins might be a little struggle to, to sell in Denver. If I was Sean Payton, I would want somebody that I knew was going to bust, bust his ass every day in practice, who's going to be out there come hell or high water. You just don't really want to bring a culture down with somebody who kind of picks his spots. And those are things that have kind of been attached to, to you know. They'd have to take it into account if they were yes, investigating. Yes, you definitely have yeah. to take them into account whether they're true or not. There's two places that jumped out to me. One, Detroit has cap space. Detroit, in my opinion, has average type receivers. Um, they have an offensive coordinator who is, in my mind, going to be a head coach soon who is innovative in his schemes, not only as a play caller, but in design in Ben, ben Johnson. Johnson. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think they've got everything they can. Now, they drafted a tight end. They traded Hawkinson last year, but they have a tight end. Jarrett Goff's game is kind of one that, for me, is between the numbers. So it's, it's a little bit like sometimes Lamar Jackson. It's, it's over the middle. It's between the numbers. You want to shorten some throws if you can. And I think in Detroit, a guy like DeAndre Hopkins could serve as a really good security blanket for a guy like Jared Goff. Now, you got to go back to the intangibles thing again, because I don't know that Dan Campbell is going to be okay with not practicing, just a different mentality. Dan 
came from the Parcells era of, I'm going to yeah. practice every day, tape it up, rub some dirt on it. Let's go. We're going to go. And that may not fly there. But on the field, for me, I thought he would be a great fit. But the other place that I came back with, Mike, after studying the tape and seeing what his skill set was, I think if you could fit him into a place that has a receiver or two that can stretch the defense, can take the top off places and make defenses defend you differently, I think he he creates havoc. Much like Kelsey does in Kansas City when they have the speed guys going deep. Yeah. I thought Miami, and I know they don't have cap room, but they're going to have some cap room because they've got a June 1 designation in Byron Jones. They're going to get some money back. I thought Miami would be a great fit for D-Hop. I really did. Those oh. guys, Tyreek Hill, uh, Waddle, those guys that can flat run by people will almost assuredly leave Hopkins single covered in a lot of ways. He might, He may not have to catch as much when he's covered because – he might not be covered if you throw him in the mix with those two fast guys. So I can just thought imagine? that would be exciting yeah. to watch. Yeah. I don't know that if they even be. have an interest. I don't know if they can make the money work, but it would also be a security blanket for Tua who wants to get the ball out and shorten. The, they want to shorten his throws. Again, Hop's like a, a, a tight end almost. He can be that Mike Giusecki that they've had the last couple of years. There's a red zone threat, a lesser it doesn't have to be a full-time guy because those fast guys are going to get the majority of the yeah. of the of the coverage and the attention. But just think about Hopkins in that mix, moving the chains and decide how you're going to allocate your defense. That would does be that a, make any sense? I just thought it, it was a, it was excite, excite me and really give defenses a fit. I think. And to me, it's right in the Miami wheelhouse because the owners always for the names, right? Oh, DeAndre, we got DeAndre Hopkins, you know. Yeah. But it could make sense on the field too, not just in the name. Yeah. So that's going to be very interesting to watch. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Before we get to some of the other stuff, I, we mentioned Sean Payton, but something kind of caught my attention. Mike Tannenbaum's comments on Russell Wilson. Okay, Mike Tannenbaum, <laughs> longtime NFL exec with the Jets. Excuse the my snickering, by the way. I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to he, take this in with a straight face. He started up the 33rd team, and, and he, he does some stuff for ESPN. Uh, and so before we get into some of the other stuff that's buzzing around Aaron Rodgers' comments and some of the others, I want to get to the Tannenbaum stuff because I've kind of been saying, you know, Obviously, you and I, living in the Northwest, have followed the Russell Wilson situation, kind of saw it, it coming that he might struggle in Denver, and kind of have been saying that it'll be interesting to see 
not just if Russell Wilson lasts for the long term in Denver, but I have had questions about whether he'll be the starter all season mm-hmm. uh, because Sean Payton is going to hold him accountable to a level Russell Wilson's never been held accountable in front of the team, probably too. Yep. And so we took note when Denver signed Jarrett Stidham as the number two. There's an alternative now, somebody they could go to. So fast forward this week, and we have Mike Tannenbaum saying on ESPN that Wilson is, quote, not fighting for his legacy. He's fighting for his job. Mm-hmm. They will draft his replacement if he doesn't do everything Peyton says from day one. Peyton is the new sheriff in town and is beholden to no one, including Russell Wilson's guaranteed money. Now, these are strong, specific comments. And what's interesting about this is that Tannenbaum and Sean Payton are both Bill Parcells guys. So it was kind of seeing some likely alignment there so that Tannenbaum's not just saying what Sean Payton might have told him, but he may be amplifying what he thinks and probably has a good feel for what Sean Payton is likely thinking, which to me just strengthens in my mind how vulnerable Wilson could be there in Denver, not in the distant future after the contract levels out. Everyone knows that, but early on, maybe earlier that even Wilson would suspect. What do you think? I like your your uh, sinister plots. I like the, where your conspiracy, the conspiracy stuff. Out. Huh? Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. certain to get Mueller-esque. Very observant, esteemed connecting of dots. That's a you must have been a reporter at some point in your life. <laughs> I mean, you, bingo! I think it's a great call. I really do, and I'm with with you. I do. I don't think. Mike would say these things without a little bit of information because you're right. They were very specific. Um, I think Sean probably told them this. He said, I'll, I'll do what I can to re-energize Russell Wilson. I'll do everything I can to prop him up, to get him back to where what you guys all thought he was. But at the end of the day, I'm not going down with Russell Wilson if he's not what everybody thought he might have been here. So you said it probably more times than I have that, it's not going to be Sean Payton's fault if the offense struggles and Russell Wilson plays bad. So I think the whole key to the whole thing for me was the amount of money they paid Stidham, which tells me they think they have a viable alternative as well. Um, he might have to keep Russell Wilson because of the contract, but he doesn't have to play him. And we've said that for forever here since he got it, is eventually when they have options – and I wasn't talking about Brett Rippon, people, you know, I'm talking about legitimate NFL options. And I think Stidham, in most people's eyes, is seen as a legitimate option right now. He started games uh, last year in Vegas. Um, beyond the first half of the season, if Russell hasn't gotten things sorted out, I could see them doing just what you're saying. And I don't think Sean Payton's worried about Russell Wilson's legacy at all. No, not at all. I think, in fact, I think that's nails on the chalkboard to him, any of that type of talk. Yes, no doubt about it. And he's going to be very uh, forceful in that throughout the whole season. So that's going to be a fascinating place to watch. They can't help but be better. I mean, I think a lot of things just sort of went off the rails for them. But Yeah, I mean, they had a head coach, let's face it, who was in the chair for the first time. He had on-the-job training. And that always makes me nervous in the NFL, whether it's a GM or a head coach. You have better had some training before you get roped into one of these jobs because somebody wants to change the complexion of their franchise and you're the sexy pick. It wasn't right. He he gave up his play calling after how long? That's why I have a little bit of, and I know we're going to get to the Jets stuff. I had a little bit of hesitation in that 
when the Jets have Super Bowl aspirations and plans already, they still have to run an offense run by Nathaniel Hackett, who failed in Denver calling the plays. And that's the only time he's been a play caller. So yeah. there's still some some dot connecting of dots there, too. So I'm with you. Yeah. Hey, there was another story this week. I wanted to hit on a couple of maybe interesting points within it. Uh, you know, the Matt Schneidman, who covers the Packers for us, had a piece this week where uh, Aaron Rodgers called him back. So and, and <laughs> a big shock here that Aaron Rodgers wanted to get the last word in on the Packers. He just couldn't. Couldn't help himself. I can see, Randy, you're shaking your head here. Everybody <laughs> might imagine uh, yeah. you've kind of had it on this one. But uh, but there was a couple, there was a pretty big news revelation within the piece. Uh, I'm just curious your thoughts. According to Schneidman, Rogers' agent, David Dunn, in 2021, this is after the team drafted Jordan Love to potentially replace Aaron Rodgers, famously ticking off Rodgers. Um, but the report said that, David Dunn, the agent in 2021, asked the team to either trade Rodgers or fire Packers GM Brian Gutekunst, which, you know, we t had the story a while back earlier this year that Russell Wilson had tried to give an ultimatum to the Seahawks ownership about Pete Carroll and their GM, John Schneider. Hey, me or them, that sort of a thing. And and we have forever heard about trade demands or unhappiness, but the idea of trade me or fire so-and-so. I don't recall hearing about that as much in the past in those terms. And maybe, maybe there's some things implied. I was just kind of thinking, I was wondering, is this sort of the new reality of the $50 million quarterback who, whether or not he's bigger than the team thinks he is, acts like he is, all the evidence, you know, thinks he is. Sometimes I resist that because there's always been big names and egos and power plays in football. Okay. Right. Uh, I mean, John Elway went at it with Dan Reeves. Dan Reeves drafted a quarterback in the first round when John Elway was inside his first 10 years. Uh, so there was a lot of stuff that went on. It, you know, there, many other places. Fran Tarkenton talked his way out of Minnesota. Uh, all kinds of things have happened, and the coach left. So I'm not saying everything's totally different, but this is twice now, possibly in the last year or, or two, that two quarterbacks who – have been pretty highly regarded, maybe have played this card uh, trend? Yeah, I think, I don't know about a trend. I think it happens at times when players, and again, you're, you're on to something, I think, with the $50 million quarterbacks for sure. But these guys, if you really break down what makes them tick and how they're wired, I mean, are we, is anybody going to make the case that Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers is very self-aware. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just saying. That'd be their I, number one weakness, probably. Probably, you know. And so this is just more of that. Hey, I'm so good. I'm doing this. I'm this. I'm that. You know, the social media stuff, the McAfee show, the, the yeah. all of the it's all about me stuff. And so I think rather than a trend, it is two unique personalities that are worried about legacy, no matter what they say, do think they are above the game, do think they are above each of their teams. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't I, No, Could you imagine no team is going to do that? No team is going to fire a coach, at least in the NFL, or a GM uh, because a, a player wants that to happen. I mean, it's just that's suicide in the business world, right? I just don't think that's going to happen. But 
I guess maybe it's happened in other sports. Has this happened in yeah. the NBA? I don't know. Well, the NBA seems to be the leader in this player empowerment, maybe yeah. because of the CBA being so loosely attached. But you, you tell me. Yeah. Well, I think that the reason it wouldn't come close to working in these two cases is that both uh, both Wilson and Rogers were at the tail end of their tenures there. Everyone could kind of see that these guys were. It, it was almost moves of desperation. Yeah. I think it would be interesting if a really top, one of these top young quarterbacks. Did, if Joe Burrow you know, wanted somebody fired, or? Joe Burrow. I mean, obviously Mahomes isn't going to Justin ask Herbert, Andy yeah, Reid yeah. to be out of there. But let's just yeah. say the, you know, they there was a problem with a lesser coach or something. I think you could see uh, a team making a move on behalf of that. Maybe not directly answering, okay, we'll do it, you know. But maybe yeah. it just sort of ends up happening because you, you, for some of those guys, you have to make the relationship work. Um, so I just thought that was a little bit interesting. I remember, and you'll have to help me fill in some of these dots. I remember because I think I was in Miami, or maybe I just left Miami, when uh, LeBron, um, mm-hmm. Chris Bosh, yeah. and Wade were gathered initially in Miami. And it wasn't a year or so into that. It wasn't going real good. And they went to Pat Riley wanting Eric Spolster fired. And <laughs> and I think, and I, I'm pretty sure this is true, Pat Riley gathered all the troops, including all of his players and everybody in, in at one time and said, in so many words, here's the deal, boys, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and read him the riot act and said, this oh, yeah. is not happening. You guys aren't running this place. I'm the president and I'm the sheriff and this is the way it's going to be. And it shut it all down. But could you imagine if that was true and if that was what everybody wanted and they had acquiesced to that, yeah. where they well, would be right now? Absolutely, and and Pat Riley was probably the perfect person to say that. Yes, just given yes. A, given the the authority and the respect, and I mean, this is a guy who's won championships, you know, all the way through as an executive, uh, you know, as a as a coach, uh, had a successful run as a player uh, as well. So, um, yeah, he was the perfect guy to do that. I don't think we need to get too much into what Rogers said. I, mean, I thought it was ridiculous talking about. You know, did Brian Gutekus text me more than I texted him? Yeah. yeah, but did I ghost him? No. I mean, come on. This just feels like junior high. Yeah, I thought it was very childish. Very. I mean, I, I just think he won't let something go in anything that sheds even the slightest bit of bad light on him. He feels like he has to respond to. Talk about, you know, just an ego of, of come on, yeah. man, just take the high road. I know that's impossible yeah. for some people to do. Just take the high road and, and shut up and move on. But- that's something that, gosh, I, I just thought, like you said, very childish, just speaks volumes about how much attention these guys, uh, you know, bring on themselves. And if they just turn the other cheek and, and walk away, I could just imagine, and I spent, I guess, 10 years with Philip Rivers. Um, you know, I spent a lifetime with Dave Craig. I spent a lot yeah. of time with these quarterbacks who, are you kidding me? They would never even consider getting in a verbal battle like this at all with anybody. They just want to play the game, do their job, yeah. and be yeah. accountable. And And the best ones I've ever been around, and, and I understand Aaron is a good player, but the best quarterbacks I've ever been around, Mike, are the ones that when they didn't do it right and they didn't play well, guess what? They said it. They admitted it. And there was no doubt in the locker room that they were holding themselves accountable. That's the struggle I have with some of these guys with no self-awareness. They just struggle to be accountable. And again, I only care about the locker room. 
I wanted them to be accountable to their teammates. So if I'm one of those guys, I'm just kind of rolling my eyes a little bit as a teammate and just say, come on, this, let's just play. Let's let it go. You know, I th- what was such a refreshing kind of counter to this uh, story about the Jets' current quarterback, there was a great story my friend and former colleague at ESPN, Rich Samini, wrote about Joe Namath, uh, you know, the, the greatest quarterback in Jets' history. Um, and just how he, now at age 80, is twice as old as Rodgers. Yeah. And he's just in a great spot, you know, completely content, completely mature, no access to grind, just a grandfather. You know, he's been humbled. He had a drinking problem. Obviously, everybody knows that terrible thing that happened on the air where, you know, with the Susie Colbert incident. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was humbled. And it just yeah. by all accounts just seems to be really in a great uh, in a great spot. And so it made me go back because Namath at the end of his career went to the Rams. And if you remember, the Rams had a really good team in the 70s. They just kept falling short. In fact, Chuck Knox was the coach. Mm-hmm. They were a great team. They, they'd, they'd win. They'd go 12-2 and two back then in the 14-game schedule. Uh, and then they would meet a demise in the playoffs uh, mm-hmm. sometimes. So there was a point there when, when, when Namath, with his terrible knees and had gone through a tough season with the Jets, uh, they brought him in to the Rams. And it was funny, a little bit similar uh, to this Jets situation because the Rams had a good team except at quarterback. And uh, Namus' former uh, offensive coordinator with the Jets, Kenny Meyer, who you know because he followed Chuck Knox to Seattle, uh, well, was yeah. with the Rams. And so this was going to be a little bit of a reunion. And so they brought Joe Namath into the Rams. He was 34, but his knees were like being 64 or 74. He just had terrible knees at that stage of his career. Um, he started the first four games of the season, uh, went two and two, had a tough game against the Bears, and they benched him and never looked back. He never played again. And so, uh, of course, Namath, I went back. I actually went back, Randy, because of the way Rodgers is conducting himself – Namath took complete accountability for everything. Mm-hmm. I was just reading his quotes after that game. Mm-hmm. What happened to me doesn't make much difference. The Bears won the game. It's all that matters. I played poorly. We lost. I never play yeah. well when we lose. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just awesome. And I love I, him. I, love him. Yeah. I, yeah he, there was also, I was kind of Googling around and I found like he, he, when he was about to join the Rams and was at sort of a similar stage, leaving the Jets, he'd led him to the championship and then things had gotten a little sideways. Um, he was on the Johnny Carson show and it, this stuff's on YouTube. It was amazing. Funny, humble, <laughs> light. I mean, he was joking around. It was really awesome. But the, the moral of the story was that, you know, it, it didn't turn out well for him there. Yeah. And I think Aaron Rodgers physically has way more left than Joe Namath did at that point. Right. Right. <laughs> so I'm not saying that he's going to go two and two and be benched, but just a little reminder that, you know, it doesn't always live up to what you think it might. It's been a great off season for the Jets, and I think they're going to be a lot better with Rodgers. But um, there's a, there's when the expectations get so high, it can be hard to live up to them. No doubt. And I'm anxious to see if they do stumble, and they will during the season. Yeah. These seasons are long. Everybody stumbles. I'd like to know kind of how is he going to handle that? Yeah. How will he be accountable at all if he doesn't play good one particular game? Um, yep. Yep. Time will tell. Again, I'm not rooting against him. I think you, you're right. I think he's a really good player, and I think they've. it's been in a good offseason for the Jets, so I'm not trying to rain on their yeah. parade, but I am about accountability, man, and that I struggle with with guys who, who point fingers elsewhere. 
Yeah. So we'll be watching that one. Hey, at least the Jets are relevant. It's going to be a fun season. We'll yes. see. We'll Them see and the we... Giants. So that, yeah. I think that's great for New York and it's great for yeah. NFL, really. Hey, one of the other stories that kind of came up in the last week since last time we talked was the situation with Jimmy Garoppolo and the Raiders. Uh, this offseason, obviously, the Raiders cut Derek Carr, got nothing in return. They lost Jared Stidham to the Broncos, did not get Tom Brady, did not get Aaron Rodgers. And so they probably you know, settled in some ways for Jimmy Garoppolo. I liked at that point, once they weren't, once they had made the move on Carr and didn't get Brady or Rodgers, uh, to me, Garoppolo made a lot of sense for Josh McDaniels because if you're going to stick with McDaniels, to me, um, Garoppolo gives him a chance to, to you know, do it the McDaniels way, which is a whole separate conversation about whether the New England this or that can be exported. But if you're going to try it, Garoppolo is a great soldier for you in the locker room. But then the news came out that he had failed his physical uh, with the Raiders, and so they had reworked the contract so the signing bonus became a base salary, basically. Uh, protecting the team. If that foot that he hurt last season with the 49ers prevents him from playing or complicates the situation, they can kind of get out of it. Business as usual, Randy, or a concerning situation? Well, I think a player who signs a waiver on a particularly body part is nothing new. Um, I don't think it's normal. I've done hundreds, probably thousands, to be honest with you, contracts I had it come up maybe three or four times in okay. all the contracts I've done where a player would say, hey, I'm going to waive my knee. So if my knee is the, the thing that keeps me from playing, you're not going to have to pay me for that. Or, or yeah. So it, give, it does give the team outs. Um, I don't think it's – some people think it's really common. Maybe I am just was yeah. lucky in all of my years, and I did contracts for a lot of years. I just haven't run across it. I understand the mechanics of it. I know how it would work. Yep. Um, most agents aren't really jumping up and down to give you a player's body part as a waiver <laughs> against paying him, you know? So it's, it's a hard one. Um, I think in, in this world, the, the fact that he failed the physical, that he had surgery subsequently, that it's going to heal for most people are saying that I think Jimmy's going to be their quarterback. I really do. I think they know enough and way more than we know. The part that I kind of took issue with was, wasn't the waiver. It's just that there's no safety net. That really was my issue is I understand they've made a decision to move on from Carr last year. They moved yeah. on from Stidham. They brought in Garoppolo, who's the soldier and the flag carrier for Josh McDaniel. But what if, just what if he's not right? Where do they go from there? And this is a big season for them. So I just didn't, you know, I, I know Marcus, uh, who, who's the, it's not Marcus Mariota now. Who is it? Who's their backup in, in Vegas now? It's a. Well, they drafted the guy. They drafted the guy in like the fourth round. Yeah, but still, okay. I mean, it, God bless him, but that guy's not going to make a difference. I don't even know who he is if he's a fourth round rookie. My point is they just didn't give themselves any, any, any. Oh, you know what? Net. You know what they did? I know they brought in Brian Hoyer, another New England guy. Yeah, they brought in okay. Hoyer. And so he's not going to get you through more than three games. No, I just, I just. I don't like the the message of, hey, we're all or nothing on Jimmy G when the biggest problem most teams would have with Jimmy G is his durability. And maybe they do get the waiver to walk away from the toe or foot or whatever it is. It still doesn't solve the issue of Jimmy Garoppolo has been hurt often and durability is an issue. So that's the part I had with it kind of being, you know, a struggle isn't the waiver part. It's just that 
I don't know if we have anything solved. If he gets hurt, we're going to play Brian Hoyer. That's what we're going to do. Well, he's played a full season one time. Who? Brian Hoyer? Garoppolo, Garoppolo one time. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I mean, Brian Hoyer, you're not going to, he's not going to do anything except help you finish the game. If, he, yeah. if there's one game, I can't imagine that you'd have to start him uh, at this stage of his career. So he's going to know it shock you if, Yeah. Would it shock you if we're sitting here week 10 or 11 and the Raiders are struggling to get lined up and sort it out? And I just, it's just, a, it's risky. That's all. I don't think I could have come and, and took that risk if my safety net was just Brian Hoyer. You know, the last time Brian Hoyer won a start, what year it was? I think I've seen this stat. I'm not going to guess because I'm going to be off, but it's a long time. Just 2016 with Chicago. So that'd yeah. be like John Fox era, maybe? But I think you, the win-loss record is even more alarming than Well, than, than yeah, that, since, right? since 2016, he's one and nine, maybe. Yeah. He did have a little run there with Houston, good defense, Cleveland, where he had a good record over a few year period, but it was a lot of, uh, you know, it was a lot of uh, defense helping him out there. So I don't, last time I checked, are the Raiders good on defense? (laughs) They're going to have to be, they're going to have to sort it out some way fast. I will say this. It's the second year, the defensive coordinator that they got from the giants. Help me out, Patrick. Yeah. Graham. Uh, Yeah. Patrick Graham. They're the second year under that system, so they ought to be better. That's for sure. So time will tell. Yeah, we'll see. And they did draft for it, so we'll see how that works out. Okay, hey, one little thing. wasn't really a headline, but I sent this video to you uh, when I was going through some social media feeds. feeds. Just a great way to spend time, by the way, just going through social media feeds. <laughs> it's become a thing now, hasn't it? It whether is. Whether it's no, draft really- days, social media, whether it's <laughs> – they're they're looking for content. It is all about content. I I, I yeah. think it's interesting. Now and it's risky it. too. It is risky for these teams to put out a lot of this information, especially the the draft scenarios, the oh, the, yeah. the videos in the draft room. Because if you don't match it up right with what's being said or done, it can make your people not look good. That's oh, we sure. had we almost had a segment on that. When I was on the road last week, Randy sent me some clip of one of the teams. The teams are producing these post-draft things that make everyone look like the, the, the draft fell just magically their yeah. way. Masterclass. They're getting yeah, yeah, masterclasses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I watched it and I was like, wait, did, was this when the team was on the clock? It turned out it wasn't, but I was yeah. like, uh, we were concerned initially. But uh, yeah, so I'm flipping through and I saw a quick clip. This was from a reporter uh, who was out at Dolphins practice and it showed Tua Tungavaloa out there throwing the ball around. And I got to say, Randy, (laughs) I mean, he looked like he was, I don't know how many pounds heavier, but it wasn't good weight. It it really looked like he was uh, really heavy through the legs, the midsection. And look, I mean, I'm not wearing a, I'm not wearing a half shirt at the beach. I can tell you that. So I'm not saying compared to you know you or me, but for what he has looked like and what an NFL quarterback looks like, I was a little concerned. And then I said, okay, Sando, you you you're not. No one's getting you for your evaluations of the eye test on the players. But what did they, what did it say to you, Randy? You've been out to a lot of practices. If you saw you've seen to a play, what do you yeah. see on that little Zapruder film of uh, practice? Well, it, it was enough to to be a little concerning. We've seen other guys do this. We saw Russell Wilson do it in Seattle where a year or two there, he was trying to put on some mass, trying to put on weight to help him be more durable. Um, I don't know what two is doing, and I don't know if that's the case. And we all know that video 
or TV. What do they say? TV puts 10 pounds on you, you know? <laughs> yeah. What does social media put on you? Yeah, I don't know if we could equate what we saw to that, but I'm with you. He looked heavy. Um, maybe he's trying to figure out a way to stay healthy, but unless oh, he he's going to yeah. start wearing a bubble, you know, with those bubble things they put on yeah. the helmets, maybe yeah. he's going to wear that around uh, Miami all day. That's the only thing that I, I, I would worry about. I is, can't wait to see camp, Randy, because... Yeah, that's a hard one for me, too. I agree. Yeah, this could... Yeah, it may be nothing. We're in the middle of May, and sometimes when you do bulk up, you know, you put on some fat pounds, and then you shape that up, you know, as you get into do different types of training and it'll all look great. But I just saw that and thought, huh, yeah. so not, if you would ask, if they'd had a different number on that and said, what NFL quarterback is, I guess I'd be saying, okay, left-handed, I could narrow it down. But man, uh, that was a little bit interesting for me. Um, what do you want to hit next? You want to get in the notebook? We can. We talked a little bit about the June 1 stuff, and that was the one note I had in a notebook was that magic mm-hmm. of June 1. I think it, it used to, it seemed to me anyway, Mike, that it used to get a lot more run, especially in the media. And I did a little bit of research on it. And last year, only two guys were designated and were released after that June 1 marker. This year, it seems like there's uh, five have been kind of earmarked for that. I know Zeke Elliott in Dallas, J.J. Uh, Watt in Arizona. Uh, Byron Jones in Miami. Uh, these are guys that have big contracts. And the way it works is for our listeners is a team can designate a release on a player like that. They have to carry a salary through June 2nd. And then any portion that's accelerated into future years does just that. If you, if you, the, the, the other end of the spectrum is like Arizona, they, they waived uh, Hopkins sooner. So all the money counted this year these are, are cases where you can spread out your cap count and your dead money into push what's ex- excess out beyond 23 into 24. And so that's what happens. And a lot of teams give a lot of thought to doing this. It's a philosophical decision. Um, sometimes it's determined by where your team is in a team build from a team building standpoint. What do we expect? Like we talked about with Arizona, they don't have a lot of expectations. So let's make it, you know, uh, something that we can you know, use it up, use up our cap space this year. Um, you know, I don't know. I just thought it was a note that we're going to see more of this over the next few days as we approach June one. And yeah, you know, teams are going to teams are going to push off some cap counting into next year for the most part. And you can, you know, you could if you create the space for yourself now, you can use it if you need to sign a player or, or something. Uh, yeah. or you, and then if you don't use it, you can push it over to the next year anyway. The, the, right. There's, you know, you can carry over unused space if you'd like to do that. And we see teams uh, do that regularly to help their flexibility, uh, in the future. But you certainly want to have as much as you can now in some cases, cause you're going to, who knows what's going to happen with your roster, keep your options open. Some of these teams I'm sure that could be in for Deandre Hopkins have been waiting for this, right? Yes, no doubt. Um, We mentioned Miami as a team that has no cap space. Now I think they have less than 2 million, but once Jones goes on the wire, they're going to free up 13 plus and, and yeah, they'll use some of that to sign the rookies, but it gives them something, like you said, to get through and continue their team build a little bit. Okay. Anything else in the notebook? No, that kind of covers it. We've hit on a lot of GM type topics during the during the the pod, so I'm, I'm happy yeah. to say that the GM notebook is hasn't been pilfered, but yeah. we we together uh, worked our way through it. We did another good week, another good show. And uh, if you want to check out more of Randy Mueller's work, you can find it at the Athletic. You can find him on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. 
uh, for Randy, for everybody here at The Athletic. I am Mike Sando, at Sando NFL on Twitter, also on The Athletic. We'll talk to you next week. This was The Athletic Football Show.